0: This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we welcome NetApp's first VCDX,
1: VMS herself, Melissa Palmer.
2: You got it.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. All right, and welcome to the Tech On Tap podcast. My name, as always, is Glenn Sizemore. Uh, I'm going to be filling in for the illustrious Justin Parisi, who is out on vacation this week. Uh, And joining me, as always, is Andrew Sullivan. Good morning. And as we said in the opening, uh, the one, the only, the irreplaceable Melissa Palmer. Melissa, how are you doing?
2: I'm great. How are you guys? Does that mean I'm you, Glenn, if you're Justin? Is that how this works?
0: But, but yeah, sure. Uh, if okay. you just want to argue with Andrew for the next forty minutes, and I can just derail the podcast at will, like this
1: totally works. I Feel like okay, there's a good. beard joke that needs to be made here. I can I probably don't have a
2: beard, and that's not going to happen. I'm just just letting you guys know that.
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad
0: that we established that. I can probably <laughs> fill in a dad joke at some point in the episode. I have faith in my ability to to do that. Um, but no, the purpose of uh, today's episode, listeners, is uh, we're just going to kind of talk to Melissa about her recent journey because, you know, you've you've recently uh, achieved something that's worth talking about in in your VCDX certification. Uh, what I'd like to do though, is to just kind of walk through what that process was, right? Let's start all the way at the beginning. Cause, cause there's a ton of stuff that you've done in the community, uh, that, that, that got you to this point. And the reason that I want to do this is, is to just kind of lay out there, you know, from time to time, I, I know Sully, you and I have this conversation with our peers. We run into people, you know, like, uh, uh, we, uh, a good friend of mine who now works at VMware, Vineeth Menon, he was uh, a TME here at NetApp for a couple of years. And one day he asked me, you know, well, how, how do you become a Microsoft MVP? And I just told him, you know, well, just start blogging, start answering forum posts, put yourself out there, start being useful in the community, go to user groups. And, and the evangelist community will notice you. And eventually, if you put in enough work, you can you can earn uh, those, those accolades. The VCDX program, in my opinion, is very similar. It's not something where you just sit down and take a test and prove how smart you are. It's a process. And I would like, if we can, to just kind of walk through what that's like, to, to be transparent, to show people that this isn't easy, but it's also not impossible. And it's, it's, it's something that anyone could do.
2: Exactly. So the funny part about the VCDX certification itself is there's no traditional test. It's not like you go to a testing center. There's no multiple choice. What you do first is you create your design and there's this VCDX blueprint that you follow to create your design. So you provide a design and some supporting arc documentation. So that's like your installation guide, test plan, your project plan, stuff like that. And then if your design is accepted, you get invited to a defense. So you're in front of a panel of three VCDXs Um, And at first you defend your design. So you're going to go through a PowerPoint presentation. They're just going to start asking you questions and, you know, asking you to explain kind of what you did and why you did it. And after that portion, that was 75 minutes. And then you come back into the room and your panelists are now customers. So these customers need you, their vSphere architect, to design something on the fly for them on the whiteboard. And that's a 45 minute session. But before we even get to that place, it's been a really long journey for me to kind of get to where I am today.
1: Yeah, so uh, actually, I kind of wanted to take a step back and play stupid a little bit, right? So so vCDX is VMware's highest level certification, right? vSphere divine design expert, I believe. I think divine would be a better word there. Divine,
2: yeah. that would be amazing. Uh, VMware certified design expert, so yes.
1: Yeah, so my understanding of the process, and and yes, many, many moons ago, I was uh, a, a, arguably a VMware expert. Um, so my understanding of the process is, as you mentioned, right, you uh, submit into this process after you have already achieved, I believe it's the VCAP certification? Yeah,
2: you have to go through the whole VMware certification chain. So first you're doing your VCP, then you're doing VCAPs, and there's the kind of hands-on VCAP, which I think they've renamed in 6.2 Deploy. And then there's the second VCAP, which is design-based. So it's really testing your design skills as well as your hands-on skills. And once you've completed all that, then you can start the VCDX process. So, so and those, then- those are like, you know, na- pretty nasty four-hour tests. They're, they're, no, they're no laughing matter either. Those are pretty difficult as well.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the part where I see most people fall over. Most people who I see who are, are I know a lot of people who know enough about vSphere to go get vCDX. Like, they, they, they are knowledgeable architects. They build this stuff for a living. But putting in the work to get through yes. all of the VCAPs and following through in the studying and taking all of those tests, that's where most
1: vCDX paths come to an end. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work.
1: And Melissa, how long has the vCDX certification existed?
2: You know that's a good question. Um, I say it was
1: four, right? Yeah, I, I think it's about I, it might have four years. Even,
2: I think it was a longer than it, it might have. But even started with three five. I'm not sure about that. We'd have to check. Yeah. But there's only 245 VCDXs in the world at this point.
1: Yeah, that's kind of the point I was making. Of y- you are number 236 of a yes. certification that has existed for at least four years now. Right. That is. Right. Y- you are you are in elite company, to say the least.
2: Yes, and it was a very long journey to get here. And you know, one of the things about VCDX is it's really about the journey. The journey itself will, even if you're a good architect going into it, it will inherently make you an even better architect.
0: Oh, absolutely! You know, the 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 reason I I never had any doubts. Uh, for you personally, Melissa, when, when you when when you started, when you submitted your, your your design, and then when you booked your flight to go out there, I never had a moment's hesitation that oh, you were going you. to ace this. And the reason for that is because of the Design Masters. You have been oh, running yes, yes. a a open community version of VCDX for the past three years. And and as we all know, the best way to understand something is to teach a class on it. And when you're running an architecture contest, well, you better be pretty damn good at architecture, right? So yeah, so exactly. it's something that I never had a moment's hesitation for you personally, but but for for the listener abroad who who perhaps doesn't have that expertise, who doesn't have that background. Um, after you go through the VCAPs and, and you establish that core baseline of expertise, which, you know, that's a couple of years of, of studying and taking tests. Um, how do you actually take that next first big step into the, I think I want to be a VCDX. I think I want to go down, as you said, this process. What is the first step in that?
2: Really, the first step, I think, is a self-assessment. And, you know, the thing about VCDX, as much as it's about the technology it's also about the softer things like meeting a customer's business requirements, and, You know, identifying risks and risk management. And like I said, besides your architecture diagram, it's how do I run this with standard operating procedures? How do I deploy this? What would this project plan look like? So it's pretty much the whole uh, design of a VSEER environment from soup to nuts. So part of it is a self-assessment. And I'm not sure if anybody just takes the Vcaps for fun and then is like, Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll do this VCDX one day. I think a lot of people who are taking the VCAPS are on that path and they want to do it eventually, right? So it's about do I have these skills? And if I don't, how do I go and get them? So, as you mentioned, the virtual design master competition is a great way to do that. We do these mini architecture challenges where you're submitting a little miniature VCDX design. You know, we're trying to get you into that critical thinking and how to think like a VCDX. So it's do I have that skill set already? And if I don't, how do I go out and start building it?
0: So once you w- once you go through that self-assessment, which I, I love how you started there, because that I agree. That's that's probably the absolutely the most productive first step. You know, looking internal. Do, do I have do I have all the soft skills that this job's gonna need? If not, I should pause here and go develop those and then I can come back to the technical. Once you get over those soft skills though. You know, in your case, you had to to take their template and build your design. What did you? You you
2: don't take their template. Oh, okay. Correct me. I'm not a fan of templates. Uh, I started with blank Word documents. So the template you're kind of talking about it is you have this blueprint, right? And it lays out what areas of the design do they want to see? So it's things like virtual data center management, compute, storage, networking, virtual machines. So kind of the core infrastructure for virtualization environment. Yeah. From that point, it's up to you to interpret that blueprint and how it's going to translate for you. And what does that actually mean? If this was a customer and this is what they were asking for, how would I provide it? So really, you start with a blank Word document. And you just, you start going, you you create an outline and you start working on your content areas. And for me personally, as I did that, kind of my template I was developing, so to speak, evolved. And I noticed myself towards the end of my documentation, I would go back and fix stuff in the beginning. Because even just in the phase of writing my design, I had evolved so much. I looked at what I did at the beginning. I'm like, I could do a lot better than this. So let me go and fix it.
1: Yeah. I know when I was doing research on on VCDX leading up into this uh, particular recording, you know, most people say that they write somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 pages worth of documentation. And that's that's the end product. That's not counting when you go back and, as you said, revise, right? And some people right. do it two or three or four times to get to what they finally feel is an acceptable submission.
2: Exactly. It's a lot of work. So for me personally, um, I, I, my design – my uh, not my design guide. My design guide was 126 pages, but it's really not about the pages. It's what do you need to do to get your point across, right? So, So for some people – their style might just lend themselves to more pages and other people might be much more concise. The longest part for me was the installation guide, and I think that's just cuz I'm used to writing FlexPod deployment yeah. guides. I think I got a little carried away with it actually.
0: Yeah, we're way too <laughs> verbose, but but it helps people <laughs> who have absolutely no experience be able to, to 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 install something that's incredibly technically, you know, challenging. Yeah, but so but yeah, like we tend to, to
2: write with that.
1: Yeah, we do that. So so Melissa your day job is on the FlexPod team. Yes it is. So how does how does this play a role in that, right? How does it affect what you're doing on the FlexPod team?
2: So, you know, on the FlexPod team, we're working really closely with Cisco to create the Cisco validated design. So, usually those are a design guide where we're telling you what the architecture looks like and why. And the deployment guide here's a step by step guidance on how you deploy that. Uh, we'll also do something called an NVA, which is a NetApp architecture where we 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 do most of the work versus working hand in hand with Cisco. So depending on you know what we're presenting, it might be either or. Um, I see this really helping me when I write the design guides, really making sure that I'm explaining why we're doing stuff and tying it back to how customers can use that to you know. Uh, cut down their time to market or enable whatever business goals they're trying to get to with this document. The only problem we have with FlexPod is we don't know your customer specific business goals, right? So we're gonna try to leave it open-ended and give you all the ammunition you would need as a NetApp partner or a NetApp SE to kind of take it to the next level and bring it to your customer and tailor it to them specifically.
0: Yeah, well said. That's uh the 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 cliff notes version of that that I've always liked is, you know, the job of flexpod is to remove as much risk as possible from any architecture. Exactly.
1: It, yeah. And yeah. And every time I advocate for flexpod, right, one of the things I say is, you know, Glenn you and I previously worked together, right? We yeah. were considered architects in our previous role, right? Well, the reality of that is once every 3 years, right, you spend 6 months going through and being an architect and redeploying everything. Yeah as opposed to something like FlexPod, where you have people like Melissa, who this is their job, you know, nine to five, Monday through Friday, and really it extends well beyond that, obviously, right, of this is what they do all the time, you know, use that expertise, right, capitalize on it, and, you know, they, we, NetApp, FlexPod, take this very, very seriously, to the point of having quite literally the highest certification, right, available. Yeah.
2: yeah and. That's, I think, that is what kind of helped me get over the edge. Like I said, VCDX has been a goal for me for a very long time. I, I remember when I was still a customer, I was looking on how to get my VCP, and it was VCP4, right? And I read this thing on VCDX on the VMware site. I'm like, you know what? That would be really cool if I could do that someday. And that was that was years ago. And, you know, now I've kind of got around to it. I've got a lot of great exposure through my career to all the different aspects of things. You know, I was a customer, then I was an SE, and now I'm a FlexPod TMA. I feel like that was kind of the thing that got me over the final hump, right? I was getting back hands-on into that nitty-gritty. How does everything work? How do I put it together, and how do I design it? So for me, that was kind of the final step, and you know, just even giving myself the confidence to say, you know what, I can go do this now.
0: Yeah, I think I think your personal story is 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 a great uh, lesson for for the industry as as a whole, right? Because I think you know you can take a look at your your personal journey through that process. You know, you spent was it two, three years as an SE for some of the largest, most important accounts we have in in the Northeast, helping them figure out how they were going to build these incredibly complex environments to solve real business challenges. Exactly. All of that experience is why you're so good at your your day job on FlexPod. And then the reps that FlexPod gives, that, that, that just lends itself naturally to something like a VCDX. But I love the fact that the VCDX program provides an avenue for anyone to get this expertise, right? If you want to know what this job is like, there is an open certification held by one of the most respectable vendors in this business, period, that will walk you through how to do it. Exactly. So you built your you built your blueprint, which had to encompass the complete data center architecture. Um, right. Tell me on a little bit. What was uh, kind of the theme of your design? What was the challenge that you were solving and how would you go about it?
2: So what I did to come up with my VCDX design is I pulled on a lot of that experience I had as an SE. I had a lot of customers that were doing a similar thing. They were going through these infrastructure refresh projects, right? So first, oh, maybe yeah. you start with your network, then you do your storage, and then a lot of customers are moving to that virtualization-first model. Then it's time to refresh your vSphere environment. So that was the premise. You know, We had refreshed different areas of our infrastructure, and now it was time to do a compute refresh. And in that, they were selecting a new compute platform, which just happened to be Cisco UCS.
0: Of course, as if there of was course. anything else to choose.
2: <laughs> of course, of course, of course.
0: If you can afford it, man, it's the fastest car in town.
2: I, I'm, I'm sort of partial to UCS, seeing as, I don't know, I work with it every day.
0: As but You uh, know what? No, well, it's, it's not because you work with it every day. It's because you actually know the product. Well, and once you I know everything it. that it can do, it's, it's wildly impressive.
2: Exactly. I wanted to work with it because I liked it so much. Yeah. So I was a little self-serving there. I really like PCS. I wanted to go make that my job.
0: It's really hard to, to give up fabric failover once you know that that's a thing.
2: That's true. That's true. But there's other ways to handle that inside of the VCR software suite as well. So it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish.
0: Absolutely. So ba- ba- before I so rudely interrupted you with our inside banter, um, so clearly we can't get into the actual details of how you built this this infrastructure uh, to do all of this stuff. I assume because because the panel you know is... There's probably some sort of agreement around don't talk about this process. So we're walking a pretty fine line here already. Yeah, so
2: you know, kind of the first rule about fight club is you don't talk about fight club. That sort of thing.
0: So so needless to say, you put together Plus your I blueprint. don't want
2: someone listening to this podcast and ripping off my design, submitting it for themselves. That wouldn't be cool either.
0: Yeah, I think I I I, I understand that the that sediment. I don't think that's a real problem. I think the panel defends against that with the second part of of the interview. You may be able to to copy someone's work to get you through the first 45 minutes, but in the second 45 minutes, if you don't actually understand what you're talking about, they're going to figure that out pretty quick.
2: Yeah, and I think one of the reasons I actually passed my first attempt was, you know, this is something I had lived as an SE. Um, it, were, it was problems I had been solving for a customer. Even... When I was a customer, you know, it relied heavily on the way I things I used to do as a customer because I I worked with a lot of scale. So I think that was part of the benefit I had is just living it and being so intimate with it that I knew exactly how everything worked and what the requirements were off the top of my head.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, think about it, right? Design master. (laughs) It kind (laughs) of implies that there is no hesitation that you've done your 10,000 hours, you're ready to walk in the front door and just answer questions, right?
2: Yeah. And honestly, for me, it was about the whole journey. I pulled on everything for this. I went on, you know, I was a customer and we were doing, you know, engineering and operations on the same team. So I got my first exposure to architecture as a customer, but I also worked on, you know, supporting the environment. This is the, as SE, more architecture skills, more working with customers to streamline their processes. It just... It's something that just was a very long time being built and coming for me.
0: So let's let's uh, kind of g- turn turn the table a little bit here. You know, we gone we went through the the process and, and the history. You know, th- how you got to the the, the panel itself. Uh, we we touched on the panel as much as we can. We can't really get into the nitty gritty details there, unfortunately. Uh, Let's kind of turn to the future, you know, now now that you've got this, you know, this this is a long term goal that you set for yourself five, six years ago and, and just put your nose to the grindstone and slowly kept chipping away at it. Six years later, you got to the top of the mountain. What do you do now?
2: I'm going to Disneyland. No, I'm not really. But that might actually be a good idea. That'd be probably a pretty cool trip.
0: I, I, if I were you, I would just go back to every single conversation where someone disagreed with me over the past six years. And I would just reply back with bump and my email signature, which now included V C D 236. <laughs> that would, that, that would, I just go back through my email and just bump a million threads throwing my title out there. That's it.
2: <laughs> that would be actually really entertaining to do.
0: Nevertheless, as funny as I think it would be for you to go back and just bump all those old threads. You're too nice of a person. That's not actually going to happen. So let's pivot to something we can actually talk about., uh, what do you think of the new release of vSphere now that you've got uh, this 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 different kind of perspective and and you've you've spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about possibilities and potential. what uh, have you had a chance to look at six five yet?
2: Yeah, I've been kicking the tires a little bit on it. You know, I've been a very kind of retrospective lately with all my vSphere experience and I started with like two five four back in the day right yeah so when I look at the features that we have now my mind is just kind of blown by all the great things we can do like it's just it's just so cool every release is better and better more and more features to really enable all those organizations to kind of go virtualization only it's just making lives for vSphere administrators easier and easier with every every release
0: yeah, our uh, our buddy uh, uh, Pete Fletcher over on the v Speaking podcast has been doing a uh, – I'm going to call him out on it. He stole our idea, but he's doing a month of vSphere 6.5. Uh, he's been doing <laughs> a fabulous job just bringing in the product managers, the GMs, the PMs, the guys who actually own the features and having them talk about – you know, the actual uh, things. For instance, I recently learned about the changes to admission control and and the new ways that you can manage uh, HA inside 6.5 and, you know, the ability to just set that as a percentage and and to simplify what, what those policies are it's the kind of change that, that is, is, is very significant, right? You take something that used to be really complex and it took someone like a Melissa who really understood how the scheduler worked and could look at a vApp's, you know, architecture, how many VMs there are, how many vCPUs, what's the share configuration, and really internalize what that meant to the scheduler and to figure out what the impact would be, you know, when that application is trying to run, you don't have to do that anymore in 6.5. In 6.5, the system is now smart enough to take all of that into account. Like, those kind of advancements, they, they, they I, I feel like they go under the rug a lot because you take a feature that used to be 27 dialogs and now it's just a checkbox. But but those, in a lot of ways, are the, the ones that impress me the most.
2: Yeah, exactly, and VMware is just kind of this huge brain trust of people. They have a lot of ECDXs there, they have a lot of just really talented people coming up with these new great features. One thing you mentioned that was funny was a percentage based emission control. And I think it's something that we always use. I mean, I used it all the time since it's been available. But one problem always was that, well, if you change the number host, to your cluster. Now you have to adjust the percentage. Yeah. They fixed that in 6.5. That's just a huge usability and manageability thing that's been made so much simpler and so much easier. And now it's actually the default, I believe. So like I said, it's just these little things are even putting in there to make things easier for everybody.
0: Uh, any of any of those little things that jump off the page to you something that you the, the one feature that you look at and go you know that's that's cool I'm really happy that's in the product I'm that's super pleased that made it
2: you bet there is so I started playing with the vCenter server appliance and in, in the vCenter 5 beta so I've been a fan of it for a really long time I think it's just like fantastic and it's so much easier than dealing with a Windows-based vCenter but you know The problem was Update Manager. VCR Update Manager is just a really powerful tool for managing your environment. It could do my host upgrades. It could do my host patching. I can upgrade VMware tools. I can do all these things right from vCenter. But until now, you always needed a separate Windows server, right? Because it only ran on Windows. Mm. With 6.5, now it'll run the vCenter server appliance. So there's no reason to keep those Windows boxes for VCR around anymore, unless you have some really good obscure reason I can't think of right now. I mean that just that just blew my mind that update managers finally integrated, and all the functionalities integrated into the web client too that lagged for a little while.
0: yeah, that refactor is um, it's it's taken a very long time it's also like I'm not going to give them any shade for it taking a long time. They basically had to rewrite that's their entire product yeah. stack yeah that's that, that was a monumental undertaking but but they they're reaching the end of that effort and and you're absolutely starting to see the big paying, uh the big bang. Big bang payout, very similar to what we got on NetApp, right? When we when yep. we finished the eight point three release and we were able to close the book on seven mode, and and just move forward with OnTap, you know, it, it, it freed us up with on, to, to go create OnTap nine and, and and free our roadmap and and to go challenge or tackle new challenges. I personally think we're kind of seeing the same thing over in vSphere. You know, the, the, the new Absolutely. efforts around Photon and, and their new initiatives, the, the 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 Amazon partnership, all of that stuff comes from them finishing up those, those refactor jobs and getting the engineering time to go look at new stuff.
2: Yep, and the best part about it is they're making it easy for you to adopt, too. So there's a migration utility that you can just migrate your Windows to vCenter and your... Windows-based bum right to the appliance. They, they couldn't make it easier for you to adopt these new technologies either.
0: Yeah, I love how they do that with the Fling program, by the way.
2: Flings are fantastic.
0: Yeah, and, and, and I, I've, we, I, I wish we could do something like that in here, here at, at NetApp. I love how simple it is for customers, right? You just go to fling.vmware.com. If you see something you like, you click one checkbox, hit download, it's yours.
2: And yeah, a ton we, of it makes it into production year too.
1: Yeah, we don't have anything like that, although it is getting a lot easier now with the pub, right? NetApp.io yeah. for yes, you know internal projects to make it out to the public, right? We've got a lot of stuff in the pipeline going on over there for publishing as open source all of these things that um, you know NetApp employees have created that are not necessarily a product. Well I think just VMware's given us a, a really
0: interesting roadmap there. You know, just just uh, doing more public betas, doing more I, l- I love the word fling because it, it communicates exactly what this is. You know, we're not committed to this in any way, shape, or form. This is just something that we thought would be fun. And if enough people agree, then maybe we'll, we'll find some more engineering power to go turn this into a thing. And as you said, Melissa, many of them do turn into products.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah. So in 6.5, is there anything that's storage-related that we should be interested in that we should care about?
2: Yeah, one thing jumps out in my mind specifically is um, previously you could have 1024 paths per host, and a lot of people were hitting this limit, especially with clustered tap when you're really scaling out based on how many LUNs you have. They've actually doubled that number in VCR 6.5. So, you know, we've increased our amount of nodes with ONTAP 9 and the new hardware up to 12, and, you know, that gives you just the ability to have more LUNs if you need them for some sort of granular reason.
1: So the the data store limit is still 256 or is it up to 512 I
2: believe that also was increased to 512
1: so you can have 512 data stores with four paths each that's pretty impressive
0: yeah I mean this, this is kind of the point that we've hit on both platforms right the the, the hyper V and vSphere in my opinion are both they're both increasing limits that that were already big enough you know we've gotten to that point in the product development cycle where Yes, they are making them more impressive. Like the changes that they're making are are meaningful, but but they're meaningful to a very very small percentage of the total install base. You know, it's really that fine polish for the extreme edges of scale. The vast majority, what we have today already works great.
2: That's very true. But personally, I'm a big proponent of scale. I've seen a lot of scale in my career, so I'm super excited about this.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The scale is where stuff breaks.
2: I love scale scale is one of my favorite things I, I don't know why but
0: I really? just find it
2: fascinating how do, how do you push the things to their to their limit
0: that's uh, that used to be uh, our buddy Dan that used to be that his his trigger word you could get him in a fight <laughs> in any meeting just by going but how does it scale
2: you know I think that's that's important for people and you know I remember back in the early days where our vSphere didn't necessarily scale so well and now it does. I know in vSphere 6 that you could have up to 64 nodes in a cluster. I don't think they'd change that in 6.5. I'm pretty sure it's still the same, but that'll take care of a lot for a lot of people. That'll give a lot of organizations the ability just to manage, you know, one vSphere cluster.
0: You know, perhaps let's, uh, d- along those lines, I'd be interested to pick your brain, and, and we're, getting, we're getting to the top of our time today. Um, what about the operational complexity that, that scale sometime introduces, because I, that's the argument that I always have internally in the team, as you know, you know, we talk about best practices and, and settings and, and, and really worried about, okay, well, you know, we're, we're working with UCS. We can put 2000 servers under a single management domain. We better have a strategy that can handle that kind of implementation. And, and that's a real problem, but if you're only ever going to install eight vSphere servers, like you just don't need all that stuff. So, so how do you balance that?
2: You know, that's a good question. I think when you're uh, running environments at scale, and I've, I've both designed them and operated them, it does, it goes back to your standard operating procedures and how are you going to organize things. One thing I've had a lot of uh, success with is, you know, kind of cookie cutter configurations where, you know, we have whenever possible all the same hardware configured the exact same way. So that means my operation environment could go, my operations team could go to the environment and they manage everything the same exact way. So, of course, you know, that breaks as new hardware comes back and has to get refreshed and all that stuff. But I've noticed once you get them past that initial, you know, kind of hurdle of managing a large environment, it becomes a lot easier to make those changes.
0: Yeah, the uh, the the explanation for that that I fell in love with uh, about a year and a half ago uh, came out of the DevOps community, and it is a very simple equation, right? Complexity times scale equals skill. The complexity right. of an architecture times Keep the scale, simple. yeah, times the scale of its implementation, equals the skill of the workforce that you're going to require. You can either do a really complex implementation a very few amount of times and get that done with with a relatively simple workforce or you can do a really simple implementation on a massive scale and get that done with a relatively simple workforce if either of those two are complex though then you need to go get your PhDs right you got to go find smart people and that's yep. hard
2: that that's really hard and you know as we see the rise of automation it's making it easier because instead of having to worry about you know doing this thing maybe on 75 different machines. I can have a workflow that will do it all for me.
1: Now you're talking my language.
2: <laughs> can I say one buzzword now that we're talking about this that'll probably yeah. make everybody just delete the podcast?
1: Yeah, sure.
0: Uh, let's ver- lose let's see let's see how many let's listeners you can get all rid our of. Listeners. Uh, all of them okay, right now. Get do get ready
2: it. to delete pets okay. versus cattle? Pets versus cattle.
0: No, we use pets versus chickens.
2: Cats versus chickens. Yeah, why chickens over cattle?
0: Because in some places the world cows are sacred. No one cares okay. about chickens. Okay,
2: that's
0: true. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I agree. That uh, th- that's another one of th- all these buzzwords, right? Cloud and hyperconverged and and all DevOps, you know, Agile. All of this stuff. they're, they're real systems that can make a real difference to the business. They are not magic spells. You don't just say the words three times out loud in a board meeting and your company is <laughs> successful, right? Got
2: be fear deployed.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, they're methodologies that, that if followed and adopted correctly can absolutely make a difference. But, but just like we learned with the big ITIL craze, a good methodology doesn't guarantee success. A, a good methodology implemented poorly can actually destroy a business, right? So it's, it's, it, it all needs to be balanced at all times.
2: Exactly, and all these new vSphere features that keep coming out, like I've been doing this long enough that I remember when your hosts were pets. They were very nice pets that you had a pet every day and take really good care of and make sure they were food and watered. They're chickens now. Yeah. Really, especially with tools like vRealize Automation, they're chickens.
0: Yeah, and, and auto deploy, PowerCLI. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Know, the, the community is... And UCS is-
2: itself, right? I have a failed blade. I just, you know, move the service profile or pop in a new one, do whatever. It kind of distracts that hardware layer. It's They're, they're chickens.
0: Yeah, and and the the final nail in that coffin. We're we're starting to build as an in industry right now, and it's the declarative management runbooks that that deploy all this stuff. It's it's the right. chef runbooks and the puppet playlists and the 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 Ansible goes. It's 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 all of that stuff. And and I know that that here inside NetApp, we, there's just a flurry of activity all over the all over the place in our customers, with our partners, uh, internally in engineering efforts to get that integration into those ecosystems because that's gonna be the lever that scales the automation system, right? Instead of having to go find someone who knows how to write automation, being able to layer, leverage a framework that, that that makes that automation consumable, which is what all these state engines really do. Yep. Well, all right, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experiences, again, on, on behalf of the company, really. Uh, congratulations, and, and thank you for, for your dedication. Uh, it, it, it makes us all look smarter uh, just being in your presence.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy coming on the podcast.
0: No, anytime. Uh, we'll, we'll have to come up with a reason to get you on here more often.
2: <laughs> I know. I need to go get, what, a second VCDX or something and get another invite? What's up with this?
0: Well, I listen, you release architecture all the time. If you'd like to come on here and talk about one of them,
2: okay, yeah, you know definitely. who to talk to. Uh, so speaking of which, you know, we're going to be doing refreshes of all our architectures now that all this new software and hardware is coming out. I'd love to come back when we've got some of that and talk about it.
0: Yeah, I would love to talk about that because there's, there's some cool stuff happening with the uh, platforms and some of the architecture work that that we're putting together. Absolutely.
2: Okay, great,
0: yeah. What about you, Sully? Are you going to be in
1: town for a little bit? Uh, I'd like to say yes, but... Wait, I have, you're I, traveling again? Yeah, I have one more this year. <laughs> Where are you going? Uh, I'm going back to Las Vegas, my least favorite city. Um, uh, not not because well I've never been there in the winter before so this could be interesting um, but no I'll be out for Gartner Data Center so okay yeah Gartner Data Center is uh, it's an interesting one uh, I have never gone to it before but I know that we're going to have a, a fairly significant presence you bringing uh, uh, Doctor Doctor Desktop with you right I am Mr Gebhart will be joining me uh, you know we're going to be there talking about Basically the entire portfolio, so yeah. you know Excellent. me, I'm, Excellent. I'm Have Mr. Fun. Containers, and Chris is Mr. Sel- or Mr. SolidFire these days. He's, uh, in fact, at this very moment, he is giving a three-hour EBC presentation focused on VDI on SolidFire. I'm not surprised, man, with the EUC launchpad. You know, there's uh, there's a lot of a uh, lot of work over there these days. Yeah, yeah, a, to say the least, and he is he is a very busy man. But, uh, yeah, so looking forward to uh, if anybody will be out in Las Vegas for Gartner Data Center next week, uh, you know, please stop by the booth. I know there's a bunch of really cool giveaways at this one. Um, so be sure to stop by, say hi. Um, I'll have some podcast stickers with me as well. and stuff Tell like them VEMIS
2: sent you. I got a sticker.
1: Yeah. I don't have any VEMIS stickers, though. We should have those made.
0: <laughs> yeah, actually, now that I think about it, we need to go on Fiverr. We need to create an official VMIS 33 logo we two thirty six. I
2: actually just redid my whole website and actually put a legitimate logo on it.
0: Yes, I'm so happy
1: right <laughs> now.
2: It took me long enough, right?
1: Yeah. do Do you know who I work with? Yeah, we are totally
0: getting those turned into stickers. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to happen.
1: <laughs> but, anyways, uh, so yeah, be sure to stop by if you are in the Las Vegas vicinity next week. All right,
0: that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet to at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, please leave a review. On behalf of the entire podcast team and the rest of NetApp, I'd like to thank Melissa Palmer for joining us today on this week's episode. As always, thanks for listening. (laughs) yeah. i got to record that again. Your last name's not Palmer anymore.
2: I haven't, so, I haven't, like, changed it. It's, like, halfway changed. Like, everything still says to Palmer.
0: Well, that's your Did call. You Do you care? This-
2: yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. They go look up the more right in the VCX directory. There's no such person, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <sighs> I've been a slacker.